Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. In Luke chapter 2, John Piper, before I read this, says something very important. Um, to express love and worship for God. John Piper says this, what we hunger for most, we worship. What we hunger for most, we worship. And that, that's, that's, that's a very powerful statement. What do you hunger for? What do you crave after? That's the thing that you probably worship. That's the thing that you always run to. You've made that your God. And, 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 I, and I believe that as we hunger physically, that it would really pierce into our spiritual lives. In Luke chapter 2, there's a prophet there, and I'm going to read this. It starts in verse 36, if you're there. And her name is Anna. And it says, Anna, a prophet, she was there in the temple, and she was the daughter of Phanil from the tribe of Asher. Look at this. She was very old, and her husband died when they had been married for only seven years. And she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God and she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. She began to prophesy about this is the son of God. But I look at this woman, Anna, and I say, wow, here's a widow. Her husband died after seven years. If you read different translations, some would say from the seventh year of his death of marriage when he died to her 84th year of her old age, she kept herself pure within those years. She didn't give herself, in another sense, to another man. So she, she pretty much committed her whole body and her whole spirit life, her physical life and her spiritual life to the work of the Lord. She didn't say, I want to be married again. I want to fulfill sexual pleasures or any of that. She was just giving completely to the Lord. And that was what she felt God was calling her to. In that, she was a woman who would be used to prophesy and speak the word of God. But the most powerful thing that I love about this woman, Anna, is we don't know much about her, is the beauty of the desire, the craving, the hunger she had for the things of God. Look what it says. She never left the temple. She stayed there day and night. And she wasn't just being a busybody. She wasn't just wasting her time. I love that as she was in the house of the Lord, like we sang freestyle a little while ago. Notice what she was doing. She was worshiping God. And she did it with fasting and prayer. With fasting and prayer. And I, and I looked at this and I said, Lord, I want to be like this, you know. That I could just, every day of my life, that my, my, my whole life would be consecrated and given to you every day. And I could worship you. And here's a woman that would fast and pray. I believe that her fasting wasn't just staying away from food. I believe that in this description of her fasting, her whole life was a consecrated life. Her life was a fasting before the Lord. She was there day and night. It's, it's powerful. So I encourage you as you get ready to fast. Fasting is not popular in our world. It, it's, it's countercultural um, in our society today. Uh, we were talking earlier right here about how we're consumers. It's just about us. It's about us. about what we can get. And here we are. We're going to actually sacrifice this. Now it's about pushing away the things that we want for the next week purposely. And, um, and that's powerful. It's almost like when, 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 we, when we find someone and we're really in the ways of the Lord and we're like, I'm going to wait with this person until marriage to have a, um, any kind of sexual relationship with them. And people in this world are like, I don't understand that. And I've heard the craziest of things. You got to test the waters before you get married to make sure you're compatible. What? God made a he, God made a she. You guys are compatible, okay? It's <laughs> Everything knows where to go. <laughs> and all these, <laughs> I'm being honest, all right? You tell me a man is like, I don't know, I don't know exactly where it goes with her and she. I don't know exactly where it No, you guys know exactly how it all happens. Now, it's just stupid advice. It's just ignorant advice. And sometimes people, right, they decide, like, no, we're going to wait till we get married. We want to honor the Lord with our lives. And, and we're going to wait for that beautiful day when we commit our lives to the Lord. And that, on that day, we're going to become one. Some marriages decide to fast. Whether it's a 40-day fast, two-month fast, a seven-day seven fast, they, they tell their spouses, for the next week, we're going to fast sexual relationships. We're not going to have sex. And, that, and that's powerful. For them that are addicted to each other and want to be um, passionate with, with another, they're also saying, hey, we're going to fast from each other. 
uh, for the next week. And just together, as we're burning in passion, we're just going to together in the bed, just cry out to the Lord and worship and sing together. So the Lord says, um, we see um, um, that, that it's spoken about. It's in the Bible. It's spoken about. And as couples can even um, go that route. Man, fasting is powerful for you. And I believe God is going to speak to us. So I hope you're planning. I hope you've planned for this. I hope you're ready for this. And, um, and I hope you're excited to, to, to see what God's going to do in your life. But most importantly, who you're going to become before the Lord. Amen? Lou Rock sent me a text, and, and I'm going to read this. He says, one thing about fasting I've read, and I, I just said, I'm going to share that with the church, is that we should be in prayer during the time we are supposed to be eating. So instead of eating, we're praying. So to replace that time, you would be eating and rather spend time with the Lord. Amen? In today's time, we mostly fast to ask for something or for God to reveal the plan for him to help us or guide us. But fasting may also be a way for God to show you um, idolatries, latent idolatries. As your, body, uh, as your body is weak due to the lack of food, we start to battle the flesh. God may reveal to you um, dormant, dormant sin, sin not yet unraveled. We must pay attention more on what he is showing us over what we are petitioning for. As he knows your request before the fast, yet we can't see our deepest sin. Like Job towards the end, he had spoken against God. Job later had to repent for his words. Look how deep God took him to reveal that in him. Yet we get fussy when we miss lunch and have a hard day at work. Fussy was a good word, right? Amen. We substituted a word there. But amen. I want some of you guys to come back. So if I say, you know, you know how it is with some people, I can't. But that's the reality of it. That's the truth. So excited for this fast. So, so amen. All right, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. <laughs> on that note, we're going to go to Revelation. <laughs> Tomorrow we fast. And on that note, we're going to the end. <laughs> we're going to Revelation. Got to love it. God is good. Man. It's so good to see you this morning. All right, stop that. Amen. You know who's going to win tonight? Jesus wins. Amen. Praise God. Revelation chapter 3. Put your money on that one. You'll be rich. You just put all the money on that, bet on that one. You'll be loaded. Jesus wins. Jesus wins all the time. Amen. In Revelation chapter 3, that's where we ended off at. Um, In part 2, if you remember, we spoke about the widow's offering in Mark chapter 12. Remember that? And we said what? Give what you can't. Thank you for the two of you that were here and listened to that message. Give what you can't afford. Karen, I'm going to give you a sticker, man. That was good. So give what you can't afford. And we talked about the, the widow's mites and as she came into the temple and she gave. But we also discussed about the danger of being numb. How many of you remember that we started to define numbness? And we said the danger of that. Where, where one is in the state of living in deprivation, deprived. There is no feeling anymore. There is no sensitivity and there is no acknowledgement and, and brokenness before the word of God or before the presence of God. Very, very scary place to be at. There is a danger in that place. And then we, we jumped into and we, I think we closed off or I don't remember we started with, but whatever. We got into Revelation chapter 3. And we spoke about how, as Christ uh, spoke to the uh, Laodicean church. And, and that was a very important passage because he goes on and he goes on to, to say this to them. He says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, he tells them, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are what? Say it a little bit louder. Okay. You are neither cold nor hot. I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich. You have become wealthy, you say. You have need of nothing, you say. You do not know, though, that you are wretched and you are miserable and you are poor and you are blind and you are naked. Um, I would say, wow, that's some pretty harsh words. But this is what happens when you don't read the whole context of stuff. It, Jesus didn't end at naked. He didn't end at wretched, you're poor and naked. If you really read, you know, we always look at the Laodicean church and we're like, that's the church that Jesus is using as an example of being lukewarm. I believe this. Revelation chapter 3 has more to do with, with his grace than it does about his condemnation or any of that. It has more to do with his love and his compassion for the Laodicean people than it actually does with, let me bring out a hammer and show you how you stink because you think you're rich but you're really poor. <laughs> how you stink because you think you're clothed with beautiful garments but you're really naked. 
It has more to do with, no, I have so much compassion and forgiveness and love and grace over you. Because it continues from verse 17. I don't know if you've ever read verse 18 and on. We just stopped there at 17. But before we read that, it's so important because here we are and we spoke about this battle of living lukewarm between being lethargic and having fervor. Remember that? And, and it's so important where, where we're not satisfied with mediocre Christianity, with, with a mediocre heat in our lives. But that instead that there would be an intense, a passionate, a what? Blazing fire deep within our lives. And I believe it's what Jesus says. If you're taking notes, maybe you should study some of this passage. But for the sake of time, I'm going to read three verses. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, what does Jesus say? He says what? You are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hidden. How many of you have ever read that passage before? Jesus just called you light. Light, you are a light to this what? world. You're not just a light in a conversation. You're not just a light in a little room. That means that the light is called to be ferocious. It's a light that is called to be extremely powerful. It's a light that pierces. And it says you are the light not just to your family, not just to your friends, not just a light in your church. You are a light to the world. You're a city set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. It's what? It's for the world to see your light shine. I put you up on a hill. I put you up on a platform. We believe in that here. It's one of our codes. It's one of the things that we teach, right? We set the stage. We set the stage. We set the stage. And there's a platform that is set. And it's for the glory of the light of Christ to shine. Verse 15. He says, well, who grabs the light and puts it under the bed, right? Who does that? You walk into your room like, oh, my God, who put the light up on the lampstand? It should be under the bed. No one does that. Under the bed, no light pierces the room, penetrates the room. So what do you put your light? He says, but a light that is up on a lampstand. You are a light to everyone, to all who are in the house. So verse 16, after he just says all that, he says, so what do you do? You let your light shine before men that they will see your good works and that they would glorify your Father who is in heaven. Come on, that's a good passage right there. That's good scripture right there. You may want to know something, though, about light, as Jesus calls us light. Light can be defined here as fire, and fire is very important here because when you look this up and it's Greek and stuff, you'll you'll recognize that as it can be described as fire, fire because that means fire is light, and not only that, it sheds light. But something really touched me as I thought about the word shed. Not only does it give light, but, and, and it sheds light. And, and you think about shed for a moment. And I say, wow, that's interesting that I'm called to shed light. Because every time I, I recognize shed, I, I, I recognize that when I shed or when something sheds, like an animal who sheds, to shed, it means that it's something that comes off of you so that now you can enter into something better. When a snake sheds from its skin, it's growing to a better skin. So it's got to shed from its old skin. When the dog sheds its fur, it's getting released of its bad fur, and it's growing better fur. When you are shedding light, you're shedding light to touch others, and in that, there's greater glory that is happening in you. And I thought that was very important to look at because as fire is light, it also sheds. So, so there's something greater. I'm entering into even a greater place as God has called me to shed light. Greater skin, greater fur. So, so what is this... I am the light of the world really look like. It, it means that you are to give off. You are to give off so that someone else can begin. How do you expect someone else to begin if you're not giving off? Well, I know I'm really just praying for them. Yeah, but what are you doing about it as well? So, so it, as you give off, someone else can begin. But the beautiful thing is that if you've been serving the Lord long enough or if you have any knowledge of the word of God, you'll recognize that you're never called to stay where you started. How many of you know that you're not called to stay where you started? Sometimes you need to go back to where you started, but you're not called to stay where you started. Because back where you started, maybe you got to get some foundational things right again. You got to get some things important. But, but you're not supposed to just stay there. You're growing. Scripture says strength, strength, glory to glory. We've exhausted that preaching here, but, but it never gets old. And that's what we're called to do. So that light is shedding. Why is it shedding? It is shedding to what? To bless others. To bless others. Your light is to what? To bless others. And did you recognize they're going to, they're gonna, what? 
Be blessed by your good works, but it's all not going to give you. It's going to give glory to the Father in heaven. So you bless others, but also to grant you a greater fire, a brighter light than what you ever had before. When, when you serve, me and Mando and, and Omar were talking about serving, and then Mando came up and shared something awesome about serving at the 930 huddle. But when you serve, you'll recognize that you leave from the place of serving when your heart is right with your light on fire because you were meant, you were called to be a giver and a server because God served us first. God loved us first. So when we serve someone else and love someone else and give, we're taking on the great attribute of who God is. And we come more alive than ever. We take on a greater skin, a greater light than we ever had before. So what do we do? Light, your light. So what? So you shine. And you shine before men that they may see your good works and that they may glorify the Father in heaven. Man, what am I talking about? Everything. All of you. Let it be a light to this world. The beautiful thing about Revelation chapter 3 is this. I said that it's more than just, oh man, you guys stink, man. You think you're this, but you're really that. You're lukewarm. It's not just about that. There's more to it. He's gracing us. He's giving us hope. He's encouraging us. I'll prove it to you. Let's keep reading from verse 17. Remember verse 17, how it ended? You say you're rich, you become wealthy, you have no need of nothing, but you don't know that you're really what? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I would say that's not a good note. I would say not a good place to end. (laughs) I mean, he could have just said, really, really, you think you're great, but you suck. Like, he could have just said that, and then, all right, I get it. But let me tell you in the areas you suck, and he's going into it. But he doesn't end there. Look at verse 18. Just follow with me, and you'll see his grace in this. You'll see his goodness in this. You'll see his hope and his encouragement. Verse 18, after saying everything that he just said in verse 17, he says, but what should I do? As you are that, what should I do? He says, I counsel you. How many of you have ever been that and the Lord has come into your life and he's counseled you? No one. I counsel you. What do you counsel me in, Lord? I counsel you to buy me gold refined in the fire. Fire's involved. But the purity behind that is going to be beautiful. I counsel you that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve and and, and look, what, look what he continues to say. That you may see. Remember he said they were blind. He's actually not calling their blindness. He's actually saying, allow me to let you really see. As many as I love, this is part of my love. I need to rebuke you. I need to chastise you. So, so the verses and the things that I told you before, church, it was to rebuke you and chastise you. But don't get it wrong. It's because first off, I love you. So therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door. I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And as I also overcome and sat down, my father on his throne, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. What a powerful statement this is when when you see Jesus as he continues like this. The New King James, I was reading um, one of the study Bibles and and one of the things that it was saying. I'm going to read this exactly how they wrote it because I'm not going to steal from it or pretend like I said this. But listen to this. The Laodicean church was spiritually self-deluded. Because the church was wealthy, it assumed that it had need of nothing. When actuality, it was spiritually impoverished. The church believed that because it had expensive garments, it was well-clothed. When it was really spiritually naked. It believed that physical sight indicated the ability to see spiritually when it was actually blind to spiritual realities. Fortunately, Christ provides spiritual gold, heavenly white garments, and healing eyes of to all who repent. So you read this and you recognize that what Jesus is really saying to the churches is that, man, I am still pouring out today. I still want you to receive from me. I want to make alive today. The Holy Spirit is still moving amongst your midst today and desires to move. There is so much more for you in Jesus Christ. It's got to be in Christ though. There's so much for you in Christ. But I believe that he's also a gentleman. And because he's a gentleman, 
It can be that he may be waiting because there is so much more of you for him. I know you want me to move in your life, but I want you to move for my life. <laughs> and I'm not trying to give the gospel of that Jesus already has done everything and, there's, and, and all that. I'm not trying to take away from that. There is nothing. That we, I get all that stuff. But there's still a response from his sons and daughters. Absolutely there's more of me. But, it, but church, have you considered, have you asked this question, is there more from you? How many of you will believe that there's more of Christ in your life? How many of you believe there's more of you for Christ? You better join us on our fast tomorrow if you just said amen. If you just said amen and you still decide not to fast tomorrow, thank God I'm not God. You just talk to God and figure all those things out. But, but, but Lord, I recognize that there's more of you for me. But many of us just admitted, but I also know there's more of me for you. And I want to empty myself. I want to surrender myself. The Lord is so good. Everything. Everything goes. That was part one. Everything. Everything of me. I, I want to really get into the message today. If you could open up your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. You'll be out of here by 6 p.m. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Hallelujah. This, um, this passage has blessed me tremendously for the last couple of weeks. Tremendously. See, um, Solomon is doing something David was never able to do. David had too much blood in his hands. So his son does something that his father could never do. I, I, I only can pray that my son can do things that I could only wish I can do. My desire as a father, father's desire, listen, father's desire for their sons to blow them out of the water. Fathers don't get jealous when sons are at their level or blow them out of the water. But fathers blow into that and wish for their children to do things that they can't even wish to do. Fathers don't compete with their children. All over scripture, it never brings anything good. But fathers prep their children so that they could take the mantle to places that they could only wish. And I could only pray that my son Jackson and my daughter Jay could take what Nancy and I could only dream of to places, man. And here's Solomon, and what he's doing is he's dedicating the temple to the Lord. He says, God, this is your house. It's so good. <laughs> okay, I'm going to sing it again. And as I dedicate this house to you, he built himself a palace, and he built the Lord himself a palace. And there's some stuff in there that I could preach on, but I'll leave that for another day. But he built God a palace. He built God a temple a house as well. And as he gets ready to do the grand opening, what we would call in our modern day today is launch day. The day he was going to launch the new temple, right? You know, to cut the ribbon and have the governor, the mayor, and the news over. We start in verse 1 on launch day of the temple. And the day he launches, this is what happens. Verse 1 says in Second Chronicles 7, when Solomon had finished praying, everyone say praying. praying. Love it. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You guys see that? So here's Solomon. He's dedicating the house of the Lord to the Lord. It's your temple, Lord, so that you could reign amongst your people, so that the people could have a place of worship. And as he finishes praying, fire comes down, consumes the offering and the sacrifices, and it says the glory of the Lord it fills the temple. And I look at that and I said, this is so important because we're jumping into a fast and we're, we're talking about everything and we're talking about praying and sacrificial living. And I said, how beautiful is this that through the life of prayer that we see that prayer is ushering in glory. 
That there's an individual, there's a man who is in prayer, and in the midst of such prayer, there's a glory that falls. And I say, wow, you know, it, it, this is so important. And, and, I, and I thought about this because I want to make sure you understand where, where, where I stand when it comes to this. It does not mean that the Lord needs your prayer to bring glory or to be glorified. It does not mean that in, he needs your prayer to be glorified. It may just mean that the Lord wants to glorify in the lives of those who pray. That's a whole other statement. Oh, I need to pray because that's how the Lord moves. Nah, heck it does, man. The Lord moves how he wants to move when he wants to move. You're not the one that orchestrates God. But I will say this. Maybe he does desire to move in the life of the one who does pray. And that's a very powerful thing because what does Solomon do? Before he does any interview, before he comes out on live TV, before he gets the scissor out to cut the ribbon, before he does anything, any kind of conversation with the mayor, he gets down to the place of prayer and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And prayer ushers glory. I've heard so many people say, I just need the glory of God in my life. I just need the glory of God in my marriage. I just need the glory of God in my family. I just need the glory of God in my job. I just need the glory of God in so of these friendships that I have and I look at them and you can look at them and say talk to me about your prayer life like what well, I do a devotional in the morning I do this app thing and it reads and that's how I start off my day in the bed no 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 I'm talking about does your prayer usher in the glory of God inside of you is the temple of God alive because the temple of God has decided to be a man and a woman of prayer did that convict any of you good because it convicted the heck out of me right Prayer ushers the glory here, and it's beautiful because how often do we minimize the importance of prayer? It's said that statistically the most um, um, attendance, uh, the least attendance in a church service is the prayer service. You host a prayer service, and you'll get those 20 or 10, it depends how big the church is, same cats that do everything. They come and they're faithful, and they'll pray with the pastor. Pastor, we're not going to let you die together. We'll die together. We're not going to let you do alone. We'll die together. <laughs> and the pastor and those 10 and 15 look at each other like, the heck is the rest of the church? Did they not hear the call to pray? And they're like, well, is it? And then, you know, we get spiritually like, well, two or more are gathered. The spirit of the Lord is here. And we got two or more. All right, let's come into prayer. Amen. <laughs> but that's the truth, guys. All joking aside, it's the truth. We minimize the importance of prayer. And all the examples in the Bible, all the examples, and there's so many, there's so many examples of prayer. Did you see that Solomon prayed and the, uh, the glory of the Lord filled the offering, took up the offering, filled that place? Reminds me of Elijah. What did Elijah do? He started praying. What happened when he started praying? He, it was, man, God was glorified. I mean, all over Scripture, man, it was prayer. It was prayer. I love that there was a multitude of people. Um, it says oh, 5,000, but it's groups. It's groups. It's probably like 15,000. It's probably like 20,000. And the Lord says... Oh, snap, get us some food. We don't, you know the whole story. We don't got food. Okay, give us what you got. Get the boy there. Five loaves to fish. And he says, what do we do? What do I do with this? I know what I'm going to do with this. Jesus gave us a beautiful what? A beautiful outline, a beautiful blueprint, and a beautiful thing to do. He says what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to give this to the Lord. I'm going to give this to the Father. And watch this. And we know the rest of the story. I'm telling you that prayer ushers in glory. God wants us to be a people of prayer. Jesus would pray. Jesus constantly would pray. Why, pastor, are we going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive to church? You know how I, I could hear you guys already. I have the kids and they're sleeping and I got this and the, and the booger that drips off the left nostril. Remember that one? Um, um, but pastor, it's hard for me. I thought that Jesus would wake up every morning and go to the mountain and pray. Oh, but it's just, I'm not a morning person and, and uh, I'll pray during my lunch. I don't know. But there's something when we come together and we just pray. If you're able, come. It's going to be special. By no means am I manipulating the word of God to get you to do something. But I am telling you that Jesus would pray every morning. Jesus would pray throughout the day. We should be disciplined early in the morning hours. I think, really, I believe this. I think we should all start our mornings in prayer. Not just come to five in prayer tomorrow. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I think we should all, come, we should all start our days in prayer. Because what, can I ask you a question for a moment? You start waking up the kids, or you go to work, or you hit traffic. What's going to come out of you if you didn't spend the morning in prayer? I think prayer is so important in the morning. Why? Because it's going to help you with the rest of your decisions for the rest of the day. 
It's going to help your spirit in the sensitivity of it to deal with the things that you're going to face for the rest of the day. I think prayer is so important. I think Jesus prayed in the morning for that reason. Oh, man, can you tell us why you believe that? In Mark chapter 1, it's so powerful. It says this. It says, and rising, er, verse 35, forgive me, Mark 1, 35. It says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. They searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, hey, everyone's looking for you. First off, it's like the sun hasn't even come out. Why are they looking for me so early? They got problems. If they're looking for me in the sun, even out. what's going on? And he said to them, watch this. I, I, I like this transition here. Watch this. Go to 37. So they found him because he woke up early in the morning, very early while the sun was out. Hey, everyone is looking for you. What is he going to say? Okay, take me to them. Okay, let's go see what they want. No, no, look at the next verse. Verse 38. So he says to them, let's go to the next town. <laughs> Let's just go to the next towns. Let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That's why I'm here. Let's just go to the next place. Verse 39. And he went throughout all of Galilee, and he began to preach in their synagogues and casting out demons. He wasn't just going doing little devotionals over there, like, hey, everyone sit down, meditate. No, he was casting out demons. It was, it was, this was a crusade, man. He was going town to town. And, and I love this because as the, one of the commentaries was, was discussing this. It said the tense of, of the verb there, it's the tense of the verb prayed. It indicates a continual action. It's not that Jesus prayed. It was a continual thing that Jesus was doing in prayer. It was not just a brief moment. Jesus' prayer life was successful. If you read that passage again, the three Ps that I was talking about in the hub, if you guys remember, I said it was planned, it was private, and it was prolonged. He got up early enough, he got away far enough, and he stayed at it long enough. I want to know if some of you are still disciplining yourself and you're still in it long for the long haul. And you're saying, I started at 5 in the morning praying, and I've hit two years that I've never ceased from having dates with God. Congratulations, you've prolonged I'm wondering if some of you guys have, have, have just gone to a place far enough where there's no distractions and you just get away from the Lord. I love this because what is Jesus doing? He's starting the day in prayer and then he's going to go do his ministry. I want to write down some thoughts. I want to speak some thoughts that I write down. And I wrote this and you could write it or you could say amen to it or you could just let it sit on you for a moment. Be very careful not to crave success in the ministry or success in the field while being unsuccessful in the prayer mountain. Because here's Jesus, he's about to pray in all the synagogues in, in, in Galilee, and he's about to cast out demons, but none of that started without what? Moments of prayer. How can I be successful down there if I'm not successful in this right here? If I'm going to be successful there, my success has to happen in the secret chambers of prayer. And Jesus illustrates that. He shows that with his life. I want all of these great things, Lord. Do you know how many people... I've, I've, had, I've had conversations with young guys that are getting into seminaries. And like, I just want to be a pastor. And you start talking to them and it's very scary because what they want is a platform of celebrity. It's not a lifestyle of what? Sacrifice and suffering. Be very careful what you think that so-called title holds in your life. And sometimes, uh, Nancy knows I'm not lying about this stuff. Some of the conversations I've had with some of these guys and I just stay quiet. When I look at someone, I'm like, you have no idea the conversation I just had with that person. They just told me for 20 minutes how awesome they're doing in their church because their church just gave them a raise. He thinks that because the church gave him a raise, he's doing good. Mind you, I was in my eighth year of ministry, and I hadn't even gotten a paycheck yet. And I'm like, I must be doing something really bad when this guy already got a raise. Man, people are just so distorted with this stuff, you know? What are we really doing here? Who are we really serving here? What are we really crying out here? Be careful what you're craving for. Listen, I, I really believe this. If there's anything that the enemy can get out of you or get from you, it's for you to pray less. Or, or forget this, or just to stop praying. I won't do this because I won't make any of you feel bad, but I feel like we're family enough that I could do it if I, if I really wanted to. But 
If I were to say, let's be very honest here, how many of us here really are struggling with prayer? I'm wondering if 100%, 90%, whatever, of this church will stand up and say, I'm really struggling with prayer. My prayer life should be so much better. I believe that one of the greatest things that the enemy will do, this world will do to you, is to lessen or just stop you from praying. Why? I believe this because I've seen this. Guess what? I'm only speaking from my own experiences, meaning this has happened to me. Because then what happens is you become more capable of becoming a religious legalistic. Because what happens is you just operate in this, but you don't operate in this. And you, if you're going to operate in this, it's got to come from this. If not, you know how many religious legalistics? And they know more than you, and they could out-preach you, and they could out-doctrinize you. And it's religious legalism. And I'm scared to become a religious legalistic. The enemy wants to stop you from praying so you could become that rather than becoming what? A compassionate servant. I believe that in the places of prayer, you receive the compassion to serve others. The compassion to serve God. Prayer, listen to this, is the communication and connection that softens your heart to be able to execute the truths that you learn in Scripture. Prayer is the communication and the connection that softens your heart to be able to execute the truths you learn from Scripture. If you're learning in Scripture and you're losing in prayer, you can be in danger today. If you're learning in Scripture but you're losing in prayer, you're in great danger today. I'm telling you that today learning in Scripture is wonderful, but it must go together with prayer. Don't separate it from each other. And here is Jesus, and he's teaching us what? I must pray. My day looks like this. <laughs> Love the word. I'm going to go preach in the multiple towns. I'm going to heal the sick, and I'm going to cast out demons. So what are you going to do? I need to pray first. If Jesus had to pray before every day of his ministry, I think we need to pray before every day of our ministry. <laughs> he's Jesus. He prayed every day. Why? Because I'm going to go cast out demons today. Not only am I going to cast out demons, I'm going to speak to them today and have conversations with them today and know them by name today. And I'm going to send them to pigs today. I need to be prepared for that stuff. I'm going to cause a blind man to see. I'm going to heal leprosy today. I'm going to speak life. Someone's, I'm going to resurrect someone today. So I have to start off in prayer. And you're like, you sure do. So I ask, what are we doing today? When you wake up, what are you doing? Is it for the glory of the Lord? It should start off in prayer then if your life is a ministry unto him. So if any of that is going to be effective, I wrote this down in bold and highlighted it. If any of this is going to be effective, the most important thing must be affecting me. If any of me is going to be affecting others, he must first be affecting me. I can't affect others without him first affecting me. If not, that tank's going to go on empty. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to hurt others rather than bless others. You hurt people when you're not being affected by God first. But when you could affect others because you're first being affected by him, amen. Keep on with your ministry, baby. Come on. How many of you say right? All right. Is it a strong word? Oh, sorry. I thought it was actually good and motivating. I, I didn't judge it right, I guess. We'll start affecting others once this starts affecting us. So what else? What else? Everything. What do you mean by everything? Prayer, too. Prayer's got to go. You got you to get into that stuff. Get into prayer. All right, let's go to verse 2. We have a few more verses to read. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had what? Had filled the house. I want you to recognize here that these are the priests and they could no longer minister because what? Because of their awe, because of their reverence before the glory of the Lord. And, and you read verse 2 after what happened in verse 1. Solomon prays the glory of the Lord fills the temple. Verse 2, the workers that work in the house of God, the workers themselves, the priests who minister in the temple. It says, and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. So the priest could no longer minister because of their awe and because of their reverence before the glory of the Lord. You know what I wrote down? Check this out. I wrote, this is the place where the Lord stops all of your doings so that you could understand and appreciate the place of just abiding. The place of just dwelling. You could do so much that you lose the place of what it means to abide in Christ. 
John 15, 5, Jesus gives us this illustration, right? I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. What does he say next? For without me, you can do nothing. So we have an issue. We have a very strong issue if we're more, listen, the priest could not enter the temple because of the glory of the Lord. We have an issue if we're more worried about giving our ministry to the Lord in the moment where the Lord is more concerned about giving his ministry to us. Oh, I got to go and I got to do the works of God and I got to go and I'm the one that has to preach today. And the Lord says, not if I'm, just gonna, um, not if I'm taking over the pulpit. Not if I'm singing the song. Just step back and walk. So the priest couldn't even execute. The priest couldn't serve. I, I, I want us to remember this. Let us never hinder the ministry of God because we feel entitled to be part of it and offer our ministry but rather that we come to the place that when we gather he can wow us and just say wow look what God has done that when you're ministering though it's important it's of no importance when it's compared to his ministry over us Lord I need to stop this because I got to do this no let this continue Verse 3 says this, ready? So, so the, 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 the priest couldn't enter the house of the Lord. Solomon prays the glory falls. They're like, what's going on here? Look what happens in verse 3. This stuff, man, started to trickle down on everyone. Verse 3 says that when all of the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord was on the temple, look what they started to do. They bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and they began to worship and they began to praise the Lord. And they said, he is good for his mercy endures forever. How many of you could say amen? amen. My God, I hope that as we usher in prayer here, as we usher in prayer here and as we seek him in this fast, I hope that the children of God will bow down on their face and say, oh, the Lord is good. That this stuff that we're doing will trickle down to everyone. Man, here is the Lord and he is receiving the honor. The, 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 the contagious effect, had, had, it was falling. This effect was falling on all the people. What, what was happening? Light was shedding. The priests were out of the way. The worshipers were out of the way. Everyone that thought they had something was out of the way. And finally the Lord says, now I'm in your face. I was at a pastor's conference, and one of our pastors says, when I worship, it's so hard for me. I don't even like to look at the worship leader. I don't like to even look at what they're doing on the stage. It distracts me from worship. I like to just get lost with him, she says. And I said, wow, how many people decide what church they go to by how good the worship leader is? And not because, wow. And I looked at her and said, wow, I should worship like you worship. That's so true. So it leads me to believe that the greater honor of the move of God begins when it's less about people and more about him. I need everyone for a moment as my spirit is falling, the Lord says, as my fire is falling, I need everyone just to get out of the way. And I, and I love that because look at the response of everyone in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Or, or, just look with me. It says, then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep. And the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Verse 7, let's go to verse 7. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. And there he offered burnt offerings, the fat of peace offerings, the bronze, because of the bronze altar which Solomon had made and was not able to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, the fat. You, you read what, what's happening here because the glory of God is just filling these people, filling the place where they're worshiping at. And, and the result of such presence, even in these verses, is well, guess what we have to do? Guess what? Solomon's like, guys, what do we do? Give all of yourselves surrender, just release it all. The, the result of such presence was more giving. Give what you can't afford. We learned that the last time we, we preached on this. And I don't want any of us to confuse this as contradictory. This is, not, this is not, Lord, here is more of my ministry. What Solomon and them were doing was, Lord, this is more of my offering. More of me, Lord. It's the place where we acknowledge that we have first received so much from him. And because of that, Lord, I give you all of me. I surrender all of it in return to you. How many of us have surrendered all because of his surrendering all to us? Let's keep flowing here. Verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. It says, at this time Solomon kept the feast seven days. And all of Israel was with him. With him. And a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath, the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly. 
And they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and, and the feast seven days. We're kind of going to fast here for about close to seven days. I think if you do the math, it comes out to like six and a half. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away. Listen to this. After experiencing the move of God in such a way, it says he sent the people away to their tents. But look how he sent them out. Look how they left. They left joyful and they left glad of heart. For the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. And thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and his house. And Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and all in his own house. I'm going I'm to get ready to wrap this because not much longer I'm going to go, but but what are people are doing here? People are leaving with his presence. People are leaving from the presence with his presence in their heart. What was happening in the temple had touched them, had transformed their heart. The encounter now, what it did was it brought forth what? Joyful and a glad transformation of heart. And I don't believe that we should make anything about a temple special, that the people should ever come into a temple so then what? They come here to then what? They must leave what? Joyful and glad in heart. It's in the people that come to this temple. It's nothing about the four walls of the temple. It's the temple. It's the people that come and make this temple that others will long to gather with us because of the communion we have with the Lord, the way he moves and speaks to us, and then causing what? People to what? To go back home filled with what? With joy and gladness in their heart. It's not about, hey, come and see what we have. It's, hey, come and see who we are in Jesus. Come and know Jesus for who he is in our midst. That people would be addicted to that, not about the smoke, but about his presence and his glory and his word being preached. In verse 12 it says, so the Lord appears to him now. This is the second appearance that the Lord uh, before Solomon, the Lord before Solomon. And he appears to him by night in verse 12. And look what he says. I have heard your prayer, Solomon. And I've chosen this place for myself. Guess what he calls it? A house of sacrifice. A house of sacrifice. It's a house of death, of surrender. Where my presence is, there is sacrifice. I looked at this and I said, wow, you know, the Lord didn't say, I look at this and I call this place the house of just, just come and praise. Instead, he says, it's the house of sacrifice. And man, how often have we lost this importance in the teaching and the call to a sacrificial living where the Lord is pleased with our sacrifice before him. And the response that the Lord gives is, I've chosen that place as my house of sacrifice. Because it wasn't about you. It was about your life as a full offering to me. So my house is, your, is in you. I've called my house the house of sacrifice. Lord, may I always be the house of sacrifice. And then he says in verse 13, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or when I send pestilence among the people, not if. Hey, I know you just experienced a great move, so I'm not saying if, I'm saying when. What does that mean? There's going to be pain. There's going to be hardships in this, Solomon. And when I bring it, when I bring pestilence, when I bring locusts, to devour when I bring these things. Verse 14, guys. Never forget this, Solomon. When I do this, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will seek my face, if they will turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven, forgive them of sin, I will heal their land. It will have no power over their lives, what I'm about to tell you, he says. Verse 15, now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. The emphasis on prayer. Verse 16, for now I have chosen and I sanctified this house. Worship to you could start coming up. That my name may be there forever and that my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. 
Follow with me as I end with the next two verses. Follow with me. Look at verse 14 one more time. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear them from heaven, forgive them of their sin, heal their land. Amen. Verse 14 is amen. This is the definition of a sacrificial life. Verse 14, write that down in your notes. A definition of a sacrificial life. But look at verse 15 and 16. My eyes now will be open. My ears will be attentive. I have chosen to sanctify this house. My name will be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So verse 14 is the definition of a sacrificial life. Verse 15 and 16 is the result of an individual who has lived a sacrificial life. What is he saying? I will be with them if they live sacrifice. If they live in the sacrifice. So what he's saying is verse 15 and 16 will not operate in the individual's life if they do not operate in a sacrificial living like verse 14. How many of you want, your, how many of you want his eyes to be open upon you? His ears to be attentive over your prayer? How many of you want him to look at you and say, I've chosen you and I've sanctified you, that my name would be upon you forever and that my eye and my heart would be upon you? How many of you say, yes, I want that? Watch this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, if you pray, if you seek his face, if you continue to turn from wickedness, if you hear from heaven, he's going to continue to forgive you and he's going to heal your land. First 15 and 16, yes, I want that. It's possible in sacrificial living. How many of you could say amen? amen. And then he goes on and we'll wrap it up. He says, and as for you, Solomon, if you walk before me, as your father David walked, and do according to all that I've commanded you, if you keep my statutes, my judgments, my, I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I've covenanted with David, your father. And I said to him, you shall not fail to have a man as a ruler of Israel. Jesus comes in some years later. Hundreds of years, he's being called the son of David. The son of David. The place where he is not just Savior. This is the place where he becomes Lord of everything. Solomon, if you just do these things right, I'm going to show you things that you would have never imagined. You know what I believe he's teaching even from the Old Testament? He's preparing us for what's going to happen in the New Testament. I believe it's this, ready? That this building in the Old Testament is about the one who it foreshadows. It foreshadows the one who is to come. Thank you, Solomon, for building this temple. But it's going to speak of my name. In John chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Jesus answered and says, destroy this temple. Destroy this temple. He uses the word temple. He doesn't say body. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to resurrect it. So the religious leader said, it's taken 46 years to build that temple. And you're going to raise it up in three days? Verse 22, chapter 2 of John says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. You know what Jesus did in John chapter 2? I'm fulfilling the temple. The Old Testament temple was pointing, was foreshadowing me. I am it. I am the fulfillment of that. I am the glory of the Lord here on earth. The temple, man, it's, 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 it's right here, the presence of God. And Go ahead and kill me, he says. I'm going to lift up this temple in three days. And they kept thinking about the physical thing. And he said, no, I'm talking about myself. You look at the temple and it was the center of the Israelite life. The center of the of their lifestyle, of their life, of their religious, of their, of their religion, of their culture. And, it, and if you go to Israel, it's still the center. Do you know that when you go to Israel, there's hundreds daily. I mean, it's ridiculous, but we did it because you do it. It's culture. But it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and they're just praying in front of the wall. And I'm like, why are you praying in front of the wall when you could pray before his throne every single day? And we put paper. We did it. 
and we put paper. And, and if anyone in our church thought that there was any power in that, it has no, that paper in that wall has no power when the presence of God lives inside of you. We don't have to rock ourselves before the wall when we could have lunch and breakfast and dinner every day before our beloved and rock ourselves in his presence where our prayers can be heard because this has become the sacrificial temple before the Lord. And so today, they're still there, and they're rocking, and they're like, oh, we can't wait to build our temple again. We can't wait to build our temple again. We can't wait to build our temple again. And the Lord is like, I can't wait for you to build my temple. Build it. Because if you build it, you'll see I'll come and fill it. But they're so worried about a structural temple. And they have forgotten about what it means to be the sacrificial temple of God. Where he says and says, this is my home. And in the New Testament, Jesus comes in and he he takes on a tent. Did you guys know that Jesus takes on a tent? He takes on a tabernacle. He becomes the temple, his body, where now God does not need, listen, a temple for his presence to fill. Jesus begins to walk around and he becomes the temple of God. And everyone he touches is healed. And everyone he speaks to, I mean, with his word, he resurrects dead people. How can he do that? He's the temple of God on earth. He takes on the body. And then he resurrects. Come on. He resurrects. And he says the same spirit that was in me lives in you. Greater things and greater works than me. That stuff doesn't cause you to cringe, man, inside and erupt. I don't You're dead. You're dead. If that stuff doesn't touch you, you are dead and you are in a dangerous place, man. But he says, the same spirit is alive now in you. Can you imagine if the presence of the Lord occupying our whole lives was truly the most important place, the most important thing like it once was and still is for the Israelites? That we don't have to necessarily go to a building to acquire his presence, but that we become the building that what? Hosts his presence Psalm 156 and I end this let everything that has breath praise the Lord we said that during worship Psalm 37 5 commit everything you do to the Lord trust him and he will help you Philippians 4 13 I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength Matthew 6 33 seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need come on it's all of you everything your prayer your sacrificial living, the Holy Spirit lives in you. In the temple of God, everything. It's my everything, God. You can stand with me as we close off and pray. I'm going to ask if we could get the kids and the teachers in the back as we pray. Close your eyes there for a moment before the kids come out. lift up your eyes to the heavens or to the roof I guess whatever your method is just get into this place where you just say Lord you're calling my life of prayer of sacrificial living Lord you're calling me to something great because it's in you it's not in me it's in you they'll see my good works and glorify the Father in heaven that's crazy Lord That my works can be related to you. That when my works are seen, it could point to the Father. That's a powerful thing. That we share in this thing with the Lord. Some of you families, if some of your kids are here, get get them right next to you. Get them around you. Get some of your kids. Let's see if my daughter wants to come with me. Come with Dada. She's going to say, give me the mic. My wife could come up here, I guess. My son will be up here. I'll come down here, I guess. Get your kids if they're up here. Amen. This is a family thing, amen? This is a family thing. Amen. This is a family thing. Get with your kids, get with your family, get with your spouse. Parents, I want to go with my 
my friends. Wait, they're going with their mommies and daddies. They're going with mommies and daddies, see? Man, maybe if you're next to that person you love, they're next to you, wrap yourself around them there for a moment. Mama, they're all with their mommies and daddies. She wants to play with the friends. pray that as we enter this fast together and, and, and our children get to see some of our well, why is it that you're not doing what you're doing dad, mom, why, why is it that you're saying the things you're saying that we would teach them the ways of the Lord that we would teach them hey mom and dad are gonna might not eat for a week we're just gonna drink some liquids just dance, I'm sorry Mom and dad are gonna, we're gonna seek the Lord. We're just gonna pray together tonight. You know, I, I really pray that on Sunday of next week, that on Monday we're like, oh, I'm just gonna go back to the way I was. I'm really hoping that when Monday comes, our lives can be transformed. That's good. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Let them. That when Monday comes, it, we could say, now we're going to continue with this. This is going to become who we are now. I pray this, that you don't have to wait for the next church fast. Want a good album? Okay. Abu, are you Abu could come up here and join us. Abu, ven para con tu familia. And, um, she's like, I'm not going to go up there. <laughs> and, um, that you don't have to wait for the next church fast. When are we going to do another fast again? My family needs it or I need it. But that you can say, this is what we're going to do at our house. We're going to seek the Lord. We're going to pray about these things. That you would make spiritual decisions in your own life for yourself and for your own family. Amen? Amen. And that you could say, I'm going to make a declaration. I'm going to, I'm going to consecrate this place. Come on, wrap, wrap yourself around someone there that, that you're with. El gordo lindo ese. Deja lo que canta. Amen. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this moment with our family here, Lord God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord that call this place family, call this place home, call this place where we come together, we worship together, we hear the word of God, we grow together. But Lord, as we pray and as we close off this service, we pray just this, Lord God, that we would be the, that we would be your temple. Each person or each family represented, that we would be the house of God here on earth. That the glory of the Lord will fill each temple in this place. That the glory of the Lord will fill each house. And that you would be well pleased with every house in this place. And that you would say in these homes, this is my house where I dwell because it is a place of sacrifice. That we will learn what it really means to, to give our lives to you as a living sacrifice. As you confirm that in Romans chapter 12. That is pleasing to you. And that, Lord God, it would not just be for us, but that it would be for our sons and for our daughters. And that they would know the ways of God and have the fear of the Lord. And that they would grow in wisdom and that they would grow in knowledge and understanding each day. That, Lord God, we would be the leaders in, in our business, in our, in our families, upon our friends and if we have children in front of our children that our children would want to be like their moms and their fathers because they admire the way they love God that no family here would ever put anything before the Lord ever again that there would be no more excuses oh God but that we would decide today that our homes that our house that this temple 
is a place of sacrifice, an offering of praise, of thanksgiving and sacrifice, surrender unto the Lord, where He and His glory dwells and soaks up whatever is placed on the altar. That my son Jackson would grow in fear and reverence today. Come on, pray over your children. Pray over your spouse. Pray over who's next to you there. That he would fear you and know you. That he would have dreams of you. That he would read your word. That he would hunger for it. That he would hunger to sing songs. That my daughter, even at her young age, would hunger for the things of God. Would hunger and thirst for you and know you, Lord God. Give her dreams and visions, Lord God. Give her the prophecy. Give him the prophecy of Joel chapter 2, Lord God. That we will live in these later days, Lord God. In your fullness, Lord God. In your glory. That we would not be so caught up, Lord God. With the ways of this world. With the consumer lifestyle. That it's not always all about us. About what we can get, Lord God. But it's about what we can give. That, Lord, we would please you with our lives, Lord God. That you would be well pleased with what's here on this earth still. That we would be the salt and the light of this earth, Lord God. That, Lord God, we would pour out, Lord God. Our governments are going to hell, man. Our businesses are going to hell. Our schools, Lord God, are going to hell, Lord God. There's such darkness, Lord God. Perversity, Lord God. Confusion, Lord God. Sexuality, Lord God. It's all going down. But that we would be the holiness of God on this earth that makes straight the way of the Lord and say, no, this is how it should be done. This is how the Word says it. And our family declares it. We believe in the model of the Scriptures and we will abide by the scriptures this is what the house of God on earth still looks like I pray that over this fast that you would bless this house that Nest Church would never be the same because of the fire in every temple that makes this place a house so Lord we thank you for this beautiful super Sunday that that would mean so much to us. That you would glorify yourself. Move us to prayer like never before in these days. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Here we are. Your house. Your temple. The temple of sacrifice. Offering it all to you so that the glory of the Lord would fill it. May the glory of the Lord fill this temple. We repent of our sins. We repent of our lukewarmness. May the glory of the Lord fill these temples. We love you, Lord. And we praise you today in the name of Jesus Christ. And together we say, Amen. Come on. Hug each other. Hug your family. Give Give your spouse a kiss right on the lips. Love someone. Love someone. Hallelujah.